Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Hello. Hello. I'm back. I'm having some technical difficulties this morning. <laughs> you know, life. We've got some questions that we want to answer. We thought one was an interesting one to riff on. We always read the questions through and then whatever one kind of makes us both raise our eyebrows like, huh, hmm. where, hmm. where's that one going to go? Yeah. So the question this morning is, how do you discern between what feels transactional Versus reciprocal, reciprocation, reciprocation, reciprocal. Yeah, <laughs> is that the go. word you're looking for? She says reciprocal. Reciprocation, reciprocation, but yeah, or reciprocal. So how do we discern what's the difference? I guess what's the feeling difference between transaction and reciprocity? Well, you know, I think there is. To me, the shift becomes that. I am giving from an authentic desire within myself, not because of what I am attempting to get in return, right? Mm -hmm. um, that, and you know, I have a little bit of a radically different stance on this than I think many that I actually don't think the expectation that, you know, you are entitled to anything from a partner is... I, I do think that that ends up being transactional, right? And I think I probably have that response because I work with so many couples where there's like a lot of scorekeeping and a lot of like, this isn't even and you do this for me. And so I should get this in return. And um, I think that feels like what would be like a forced reciprocity, but it ends up being transactional. Um, there are those who say relationships are always transactional and mm -hmm. I just don't necessarily agree with that. I think we're very much conditioned to believe that they have to be. Um, but I think it's like we know when we feel that there's something I am like trying to pull from someone that they are not giving 
openly and freely. Does that make sense? Like Mm -hmm. that to me is like the energetic of how, you know, like if I'm trying to pull something from someone that they don't have a desire to give, that is very different than someone who is there and present and, um, having a desire to like, teach me how to love you well, teach me what feels like love to you versus the constant critique of what this isn't that I feel like it should be. Yeah. What's coming up is like these, the feelings of resentment. Mm -hmm. I think so much of my personal work has been around getting so deeply in touch with the feeling of resentment and then Mm -hmm. using that as like a barometer uh, in so many ways, like in all the ways in my relationship and ships, plural, actually, not just mm-hmm. romantic relationship, um, mm-hmm. whether that's familial, family, you know, family, obviously, whether that's uh, friends, doesn't matter, um, even work. So where mm-hmm. is resentment creeping in? And I always talk about how whenever we feel resentment, essentially what it is, is it's your codependency being activated, right? And so you can use that as a way to kind of pause and be like, oh, what is that? Where is that coming from? And use that as a way to get really familiar with um, these ways that we expect things from people or we do things when we don't want to because we think we have to or we think we should. Um, I think in a lot of ways, that's that's how we like cut through that um, that transactional component to a relationship. And here's what I will say. If you start doing some of that work and you start saying like, I'm going to start to cut out some of that transactional baggage, not all your relationships are going to be able to survive that, right? Because some relationships, um, I guess are like, they're, 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 I'm, I can't, I cannot think of my words this morning. I'm like, where are all my words? They're in there somewhere. (laughs) Based on that, I suppose, I think some relationships actually kind of are based on this transactional model. And I I think that when we start to realize that we don't like the way that feels and we start to change that for ourselves, some relationships just aren't strong enough to kind of sustain that change. Yeah, I think most relationships are based on that transactional model because that's what we're taught relationships Mm -hmm. are, right? Like find someone who does this for you, right? And that like relationships are about being poured into versus you pouring into someone else. Um, and that pouring, not not from the space of what I am attempting to get in return from my pouring, because I think that's the, well, I kind of want to ask you when you say when there's resentment, that's your codependency being activated. I kind of want you to say more about what mm-hmm. that means. I agree with you, but I'm like mm-hmm. curious from your perspective, like what that means to you when you say that. Well, I think the way that I look at it is when I start to feel or sense resentment, I know that I've been giving in ways that I don't want to give. I know that I've been doing things that I don't want to do. So like I haven't been respecting my own internal boundary system. I haven't been respecting. And I notice if you're listening, I'm saying me. I haven't mm-hmm. done this. I haven't done that, right? Because yes. I'm a firm believer that resentment is 100% yours to own. Um, and so if I'm taking radical ownership of that, then it's, okay, where am I abandoning myself, right? Um, and showing up in my relationships in ways that don't feel authentic to me. Where am I not speaking up about something, when I should be speaking up about something, right? So like if there's a feeling of resentment, really what that means to me is my internal system is telling me, pay attention 
you're not showing up authentically in this relationship and it's manifesting as resentment. And so to me, that is kind of the crux of codependency. For me, I do all of these things in order to attempt to stay safe, control the relationship, maintain the attachment, right? Which is codependency. Um, and so if I know that my resentment is like my indicator that I'm acting in codependent ways, it's become a really good tool for me to kind of slow down and like check myself and be like, you got to walk your walk. You know, you got to go back and, and say no where you said yes or speak up where you swept something under the rug, um, or whatever kind of behavior that's manifesting itself as. Yeah. I'm really glad I asked because I think that's a really important clarification that you made. And I think there's, a couple useful tools in there to understand, which is, you know, whenever there's codependency, what I find is there's quite often, and normally from one person, a real sense of overgiving. Yeah. Now you named a lot of the reasons that um, people might do that to maintain the attachment, to keep themselves safe, to not have someone be angry with them. But one that I don't think we speak about enough that I see constantly is I'm overgiving in the hopes that you will give to me in the same yep. way. Yeah. And the resentment a lot of times comes from the fact that one, that person doesn't, but a lot of times the reason that person doesn't is because you give so much and that's been the dynamic the whole time. So they sort of um, believe that's just who you are, right? Mm. Like they're not aware that you're, you're thinking this is transactional. They're not aware that you're in your mind saying, if I keep giving, they'll understand <laughs> this is how we interact with one another and they'll start to give to me. And that's the childhood attachment wound of like, if I just can be enough and do enough, then someone will pour into me in the mm -hmm. way that I wasn't poured into in childhood. But we sort of continue to reactivate that wound when other people don't pour into us the same way that we're pouring into them. Now, what I often say to people is the the solution for this is not both people need to be in the space of overgiving more. It is neither person should be overgiving. Each person should be pouring more into themselves mm -hmm. first tending to themselves first so that they are actually able to give from the overflow. That is when I believe we have authentic reciprocity, when each person is in the space of here is what I feel happy to give with no expectation that I'm going to get anything in, res in return. It's like when you give a gift, right? If I give a gift and I'm like, I mean, I gave you a gift that cost $50 and you're giving me a gift that cost $5. Like that's transactional, right? And that's not me giving from my heart. Mm -hmm. That's me giving in an attempt to like negotiate somehow my worth with what you give me. Um, but if I just like give a gift from my heart, like then I'm not really interested or have any concern about what you give me in return. It's me giving a gift, but that's what I believe is authentic love. Right. Um, and if, I'm constantly keeping score, constantly looking to be poured into the same way. And that's not happening. I think that that's not happening, not because there's not a reciprocity that I need to force, but that somehow my, um, I chose someone who is like out of alignment. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. With, um, I like my know, way something, of loving. Yeah. Or, or like, and and listen, it's not to say that like, I think in the same way that we'll talk about, like, I think overfunctioners can sometimes find an underfunctioner and that's like the dance that we're in. And I think absolutely we can bring that into right relationship and find alignment. But I think it's never like, I demand that this person give more that works. It's more, I stop giving, I pull back and pour into me more to the point you're making. And then the energetic between us starts to shift. 
What would you say about, because I, I just know that this is something that people out there are thinking because I feel like I've heard it in response to some of these like videos and stuff that you and I have put out, even like on our Instagram, mm-hmm. um, when we have the conversation around, um, like domestic stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So the like fair play conversation, if you will. Um, it's funny. I feel like what Eve Rodsky did was actually create like a noun out of something like this or an adjective rather, like fair play has become its own thing. <laughs> um, so bravo on that. Uh, yeah. but you know, when somebody's sitting here listening to this conversation, they're like, yeah, but like, what about, you know, doing equal share as far as like taking care of the children or as far as taking care of the house? And like, I do all these things and they don't do anything. And, um, I guess like, where do we take the conversation then? Yeah. I think that it, it becomes like, we need to have a family meeting. We need to sit and talk about like some of the things that are coming up that I maybe haven't talked to you about. Right. So like, if this is our family dynamic, I'm the one who functions in a like overly giving to the family dynamic way. And I'm starting to feel depleted and resentful. Then I need to, um, that's like sort of me and that wounded masculine energetic. And so from my perspective, we need to go up to the diagonal, which is healthy feminine energy, which is I need to be vulnerable. And what I love about fair play is she like names that, like she talks about having a vulnerable conversation with her husband first. Right. And so it becomes, I am struggling. (laughs) I am feeling like I can't do this. And that's a hard, like, it feels like, Oh, just be vulnerable. But for Mm -hmm. the overfunctioner, that's a hard thing to say. Like, as I will say, (laughs) as the resident overfunctioner, usually I go to you and I'm like, what do I do? And you're like, what would vulnerability say? And I'm like, fuck you, Danae. <laughs> I don't want to be so, fucking vulnerable. I want to tell a. this person to go fuck themselves is what I want to do. Right. And so that's it, a direct quote. <laughs> that is a direct quote, probably multiple times in my lifetime with multiple people, because it's really hard. I think to, I mean, look, it's hard for all of us. I think to be vulnerable, like all kidding aside, but, um, my, at least for me, my natural inclination is to be like, how dare you? Fuck you. I do all this for you. Right. And to get into a very like defensive mode and to not come to somebody and say, I'm really struggling and I really need your help. That feels almost, no, not almost. That feels less safe. Yeah. Well, then it does just tell somebody to go fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and remember Dr. Candace Nicole, I think, um, was the one who spoke to that. And she said, it's because, the armor is so much easier. It's mm-hmm. so much like more vulnerable to be in the space of asking for someone's consent because mm-hmm. then they can say no. And then I'll feel let down again in mm-hmm. the way that I did in childhood in some way when someone couldn't Didn't see me. And then me. I'll, yeah. And then I'll tell myself the message that I wasn't worthy of love then. I'm not worthy of love now. And I'm not going to put myself in a space to feel that again. So I defend against it. Right. But I think that there's, there's a way to frame it in, you know, the overfunctioner takes so much pride in the like, I can do everything. I got everything. I can make this, you know, all happen. And yes, that's probably true. But I like to frame it in the context of like, what might you be offering that other person in terms of their ability to step into their power, their ability to believe in themselves? We talk about this a lot. The times when you give me something, because you never ask things of me, it makes me feel like you trust me. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel empowered. And so I think wrapping your head around that sometimes for the overfunctioner, it can be a way of like, this isn't you saying that you're like, um, not capable because obviously you are, we get it. And, um, 
I think the vulnerability, to me, the point of the vulnerability is the vulnerability keeps the other person from being defensive. Because so often when we ask for help, we do it in a way that feels critical. Mm -hmm. And then that person goes into defense. Mm -hmm. And then we have like a new problem. Whereas if I'm vulnerable, that person wants to hold space for me, wants to like, oh, let me help. What can I do? Versus if you're like, I'm doing everything and enough is enough and I can't take it anymore. Then that person starts going through the list of all the things that they're doing that you're not acknowledging, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I don't know. I mean, not to like pat ourselves on the back here, but I think we've given a lot of good nuggets in this. Uh, <laughs> I think it's like really there's, there's, I think we've given a few different, I suppose, areas to like really consider. Right. So it's this like personal kind of responsibility, accountability, um, you know, that resentment piece. I think it's the understanding that societally we do look at all of our relationships in this way. It's like the way that we've been taught relationships should look at. So stepping mm -hmm. outside of that paradigm is difficult and necessary uh, if mm -hmm. we want to evolve in our relationships um, and in our life. I think that, you know, this idea of being vulnerable when you want to be defensive and closed off is huge. And also, by the way, something you're not going to do right the first probably a million times you do it. I still know I'm trying and failing and practicing and trying again. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I want to say very firmly that feeling like you're not going to do it right is not a reason not to try. Um, because you won't just know that going in, you're going to feel silly. You're going to feel stupid. Resentment is, um, sorry, vulnerability is not something I think that's easy for most of us, especially not those of us who haven't practiced it a lot mm -hmm. in our lifetime. Um, I guess the last thing I would say is like, what about, because I've also heard these two different um, avenues when we're talking about this kind of transactional relationship. What about when you're in a relationship where um, it's like a caretaking relationship? So I've had a lot of people say to me when I've talked about resentment or this, you know, I take care of, let's say my family member, my mother, um, you know, who is like bedridden or something. And I, and I'm the one that's like, I'm her sole caretaker. You know, how am I supposed to look at this relationship through that paradigm? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Cause I actually do get some form of that question a lot, actually. Yeah, I think, well, it, it depends. Like if I'm the only person in the world that can, um, you know, like if I don't have any siblings or any other family that can support me and, you know, then I think it becomes, this is where we need to lean on community more, right? Like lean on like that, like there's such a like resistance to feeling like a burden mm -hmm. that we don't understand things like what feels like an enormous thing to you, like two or three hours to go to the gym, walk around the block, do whatever you need to do. Um, other than be in this caretaker role like once a week. And you could spread this out uh, amongst a few people in your community, right? Like for that person, it's like, yeah, I'll come hang out with your mom. It's not a big deal, right? Um, but for you, that's a game changer. That gives me like a moment to recharge my battery. That gives me like something that I can like look forward to. Um, but it's again, so unbelievably vulnerable because we've really been conditioned not to be, or excuse me, not to be a burden, not to, um, look for support. But I think that that is like, there's such a different energetic. And this is where I think people a lot of times misunderstand what we're saying when we talk about codependency. There's a very different energetic to asking for support than there is demanding something from a space of resentment. 
Mm-hmm. It's like a world of difference. Yeah. And I think people want to help you when you ask for help in a yes. way that is vulnerable and I'm overwhelmed, but people will defend themselves when they feel criticized because you're saying nobody helps enough. me. I'm yeah. doing it all. Right. Um, but yeah, I think we need each other. And I think there are ways that like little things like my neighbor, um, you know, has kids that like don't live here, but are like concerned about her because she's elderly. And I'm like, it's not a problem. I can go over, you know, a couple times a week and like check in and do like little things. It, it takes nothing for me to do that. And I think so often we've just gotten these like nuclear family structures of like, mm-hmm. it's just me. I'm all I have. Like I yep. have no one else to depend on. And it's like, no, we are all surrounded by our community. How do we talk to one another? How do we say, here's where I'm really struggling that I could use some support. Would you maybe be willing to help me? Um, I think we're, we're often surprised how many people are able and willing to show up for us. I would say too, it goes even on the, uh, like to flip that around to the other side of like the giving side. I think that a lot of us, because of the way in such an unhealthy way too, our culture has groomed us to be this like Marlboro man kind of bullshit, you know, lone ranger on the horse. It's just, it's so ridiculous, right? Cause we know, we just know that that's not how humans are supposed to be. Uh, we are tribal creatures. Like we need one another. Um, and so even this idea of giving you know, I mean, so often, obviously, you and I will talk about whether it's working with depression or working with uh, some kind of addiction, like this this idea of like giving, going out and and volunteering and doing for others and why and how that can be so impactful if you are struggling with mental health issues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just thinking about, you know, like I, you know, I have this friend who is kind of going through a really hard time right now, her and her family. And uh, something new popped up very recently and it felt like something that my partner and I could step in and help with. And like, we don't have the financial means to help. Right. But it, but there was something very specifically that I felt like, oh, we can step in and do this thing. Like we can, you know, lend this thing or give this thing. And so calling her and just saying, Hey, I see that you're struggling by the way, I know what that feels like. So not in a shaming way, but just to say like, I've been there girl, I know what it feels like. Um, I want to support you and I want to help you in this way. Uh, and just offering it, not waiting for somebody to actually reach out and ask, but also offering it. I think a lot of us are, are hesitant to do that because we don't want to impose. We don't want to make somebody feel bad. We don't want to, you know, make them feel shame or whatever. Um, and I would argue offer it anyway, just offer the thing, you know, offer your, offer your support, lend a hand. You know, it's like that new mom, stop, stop, by. don't just go to hold the baby and say, hi, show up with a fucking casserole in your hand. Like <laughs> don't just show up and expect something to be done for you. You know, um, I think we all also have to get better at like offering ourselves and actually putting ourselves out of our like day-to-day routine and actually, um, yeah, just providing support for that community too, you know? I think it always comes back to personal responsibility to me and whether it's like, I'm going to take it upon myself to ask for support, or I'm going to take it upon myself to see someone and see that they could use support. Mm-hmm. Neither of those examples, as you said, are me pointing the finger at someone else and saying, here's what, what you need you do to do, me? right? Which is where I think we have really, a lot of times we get ourselves into trouble as a society is like that demanding from that like space of like, where someone else, and that's like, I'm not willing to look at me, but I'm, I'm very clear about what you're not doing. And I think it's just, 
it never ends well. So if we can sort of like keep it in the like, like what do we say in therapy? I statements, people, I statements, mm-hmm. like bring it back to like me. It just is received in a very different way, you know? There is one, we'll end with this. There is one relationship out there <laughs> that is one-sided that you're not going to get anything back from and that is with your young children. <laughs> and I Fair. say that laughing, but also kind of, it's true, right? And I, I'm saying that only because that's just the fucking reality of like early parenting, especially, right? Mm-hmm. And I also say that as somebody who I think had a really young parent who understandably didn't have a lot of tools. And I think there was a lot of expectation of reciprocity in a relationship where the other person had zero capacity to give reciprocity, which is a young child. And I see this happen a lot um, where I think actually I see it happen less so now. I think generationally, maybe we're starting to understand that, but um, it's the name of the game, y'all. Like kids don't give a shit what you need. And they shouldn't. They're they're yeah. very egocentric beings. It's it's how they're designed, right? Until a certain point. I mean, yes, are they like loving and attuned and attentive? Of course. But your child's purpose is on this planet not to give to you. That is not their purpose, right? And I would say that for everyone. And I would say sure. that like no matter who the expectation is of that they should give in a certain way, that's on you, as you said, right? Like my newborn baby gave me a ton. Now, if I had had the expectation that he was going to tend to himself and give me a few more hours of sleep, I was going to be severely let down. Disappointed. But I, yeah, it's like, nope, I, even our children, and I understand the point you're making, yes, mm-hmm. but I think expectations are preconceived resentments mm-hmm. and we are just going to get ourselves in trouble when we have the expectation that anyone is going to give to us in the way that we have designated they are meant to do it, you know? <sighs> so where's your resentment okay. showing up today, guys? It's a good, uh, good takeaway. <laughs> Follow the thread. It'll always lead you somewhere. <laughs> mm, and it's your hundred percent to own. <laughs> Love you. Have Maybe. fun. thanks for joining us for this episode of cheaper than therapy if you enjoyed today's episode be sure to share it with a friend subscribe and give us a five-star review on apple spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts and if you want to connect with us more find us on instagram at cheaper than therapy the podcast What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.